Before we begin, just to let you guys know, our logo artwork was designed by Nicole Anarchy and music by Taylor Paisley French. Warning, this podcast does contain spoilers for the Verse series. Hello everyone and welcome to the Best Damn Camp, a Roddenverse read-along analysis podcast that sets out to read all the books by Rick Riordan in timeline order. I'm your Fran, uh, I'm, oh god, I am your Fran, but I'm also the host, Fran. Welcome to the show, as messy as it is, we're, we're literally on a new book and it's already started out chaotically, you know. Well, admittedly, that does sum up this introduction to this first book, because, yes, we're continuing our timeline journey with the start of the Kane Chronicles series, with The Red Pyramid, Chapter 1, A Death at the Needle, and Chapter 2, An Explosion for Christmas. As always, I've got my points to focus on, so today we've got introductions, characters, and generally what I thought of it. But to begin, here's the synopsis. We enter a new world transcribed by the author of the Kane's journey. Meeting our main character Sadie, no, Carter and Sadie Kane, we come to realise the world isn't all it seems, especially when a British history museum blowing up is involved. That was a really weird pause that made that sentence less coherent. <laughs> um, and that's, it's not the best synopsis. I couldn't really kind of come up with one because this is a really introdu- interesting introduction, but I wasn't too sure how to describe the, describe basically what happens. But thankfully, we'll be getting more detail when we go into the main sections for these two chapters. Now to note, the King Chronicles is sort of like the Heroes of Olympus in that it is a dual POV series. Um, done a little better, if I do say so. Um, but we have two dual perspectives in Carter Kane and Sadie Kane siblings in this series, hence the Kane Chronicles. And these first two chapters, A Death at the Needle and An Explosion for Christmas, are in Carter's POV. So, let's get into it. But actually, before we get in, I would like to just let everyone know that as of uh, this Friday just gone, so the 24th i am officially unemployed um i've gone to taking being an author full-time alongside being full-time in my podcast work and my youtube so this is a shout out that if you can support me on patreon that would be much appreciated the tier for the podcast has actually been changing slightly because i am starting more than one podcast at the moment so all early access for those podcasts will be going up through that tier alongside bonus things like being able to interact to do with the episodes and all that sort of good stuff so if you can support me for i think it's two dollars fifty 
it two dollars fifty or is it it's either three dollars or two pound fifty i don't exactly remember if it's in pounds or dollars um a month that would be really really appreciated because again i'm unemployed i need to make money somehow and i want to keep making content like this for you all and that is the best way to help me do so um so yeah you know check me out on patreon.com slash a healthy dose of fran linked in the episode show notes but we'll now get into the start of the Kane Chronicles with the overview for Chapter 1, A Death at the Needle. We meet Carter Kane, son of Julius Kane, an archaeologist with a specialty for Egypt. The two have travelled the world since Carter was eight, never staying in one place long. It seems like his dad has always been sort of on the run. Twice a year, they have the chance to see Case. Case, I need to the name together. Carter's younger sister, Sadie, and this was one of those times at Christmas Eve. Arriving at the Fausts, the grandparents who are looking after in the maternal grandparents of Sadie and Carter, Julius sees a trespasser and goes to confront them, while Carter collects Sadie. Sadie takes his arrival as an insult, but the two head down, interrupting the heated conversation between Julius and the man revealed to be named Amos. After the family head for the British Museum, making a pit stop, they make a pit stop at Cleopatra's Needle, which Julius reveals is where their mother died. With a sudden flash of light, two new figures appear in the distance, making Julius nervous, and so they flee to the museum. Rushing off in the taxi to the museum, they head inside, but as Carter's narration tells us, really, he and she, Sadie should have run away instead. I realised I was about to say Shady, because I was reading Sadie and Should together. <laughs> Although, admittedly, Sadie does throw a lot of shade, so her name really should be Shady. Um... <laughs> but um that is the overview for chapter one no i do have a little bit of feedback before i go into chapter two and then obviously we'll go into our points of the episode but i just have to say <laughs> so the fausts are the maternal grandparents of uh sadie and carter mother to ruby kane but grandparent no parents to ruby kane who was carter and sadie's mother now i just have to ask my listeners did any of you get a sort of racist vibe from the Faust grandparents? Because it's mentioned in the story that when there was a, there was basically a custody battle for Carter and Sadie after Ruby, that their mother died. Um, and they basically fought tooth and nail to keep Sadie, saying that they, they couldn't take both of them. And then also make it so only Julius can see her twice a year, once in the summer, once in the winter, which is a really weird custody deal in general. But like, yeah, it just feels a little bit odd. And I feel like Carter gets the same vibe because he also thought it was a bit, you know, supposedly, he says, supposedly they could only take one of us. So I'm thinking he thought that way too. But like, they battled in court for one child and that child happens to be the one that's white passing and then they make they make it so they never see the other grandchild except for twice a year the grandchild that also happens to be black i don't know it just there's even a moment when he comes to the door where he's pretty sure that he heard grandma faust 
um, say don't let them in. Which means he's heard that previously when he's able to make the assumption that that's probably what she said. I'm getting racist vibes from from the Fausts, if I'm honest, people. Has anyone else got on that vibe? Because, yeah, honestly, it would make a lot of sense. Um, just, ugh, Jesus. Um, I, I remember the first time I read these books and I was like, I'm pretty sure this feels a bit racist. Um, like, they fought tooth and nail for the, for the white-looking kid. And then they ignore the other one, except for two times a year. And even then it sounds like they don't. They they only get, Carter and Julius only get to spend time with Sadie. They don't ever actually see the grandparents. So basically, they've made it so that the last... So he was six when it happened, and he's 14 now. So the last eight years, they've made it impossible for the grandchild that doesn't look white to meet them and have a relationship with his sister at the same time you know just a little it's a little hmm <sighs> shame um but actually add into the race so obviously we've got in i, I realized i didn't mention this so to, to well i can't have now so <laughs> uh judius kane the father is african-american is what uh, i believe is the assumption given there um because he's also a basketball fan not really basketball isn't really big here in the uk so i'm assuming and also the fact that carter has an american accent and talks about the fact like sadie has an english accent um and their mother ruby was a white english woman um so obviously mixed race lead characters which is pretty cool um and you know it's it's interesting i will say it is really interesting that carter is a dark-skinned child and Sadie is a light skinned child as well of the their mixed race heritage kind of getting more from one parent than the other for both of them I thought it was a really interesting introduction though I will say there are things I do have a few issues with it mainly to do with some of it's a mixture it's both to do with some of Rick's writing with Sadie not in this book particularly I think it's later on he sort of changes the image of her but also then the artwork that he approved to be like the official art for Sadie, not a fan of. Um, but the main thing is the fans. And I'm going to get into that later because actually I'll just continue with my feedback for chapter one. Um, although this does continue to mention skin colour as I go into the next lot of feedback. And it also focuses on Rick's writing. So Rick did quite well, I would say, for the initial introduction of letting us know that Carter and Julius Kane are dark-skinned men um by literally describing them as you know dark-skinned um i don't know if that was the exact i don't think that was the exact term hold on what was the exact term so i know i'm saying this correctly um okay no he does he says he has dark brown skin like mine so that's carter referring to his dad but also referring to himself so we get a description for what he looks like as well but almost three pages later <laughs> He then falls into the very white author trope of describing another black character who we find out is, is called Amos in this chapter as well. Um, <laughs> describes him with food metaphors in that he's described as skin the colour of roasted coffee, which also, if you're going to do it, say coffee beans, don't do it. But, you know, like roasted coffee, like coffee is the drink 
I'm assuming he's meaning the you know the roasted coffee beans, the actual beans. But just so it doesn't make sense how it's described. But also, don't describe people in relation to food. Don't do it. Because well, I would say yeah. Basically, don't describe your characters of color with food because it never happens to white people. Like I wouldn't describe like. I don't know, well, maybe people should start doing it just, like, as a counteraction. Um, like, who would describe someone who is a white character as having, like, mayonnaise-coloured skin? Like, that's... No! It, do, it doesn't happen, so why do it with characters of colour? Because people are dumb. <laughs> but, yeah, literally, went so well, and then three pages later describes a black character as having the skin of roasted coffee. And then he does well again later when he describes a mm, mm, sorry, well, uh, copper-coloured girl's skin, which was, I don't know, admittedly, I need to do further research myself because there is a video that I've been slowly making my way through, which is um, best ways for describing um, people of colour in stories. Um, and I've, I don't think I've... But it's been a while since I watched it, actually, so I may have to re... I'll have to re-watch it anyway because, like my brain does not retain information very well um so i don't know if copper is is like like what's the i think it's copper toned copper tanned i don't remember how it was god i'm gonna keep going back to this book <laughs> um da, da, da. Da, da, da. uh right okay yeah, coppery skinned girl in dark black robes. Um, yeah, so I don't know. I I can't remember what's been said about the phrase coppery, but um, yeah. So like he he did well to start with, and then he fell fell off the wagon with uh, the descriptions later on by using food. Ah, <laughs> uh, also another thing. So this is like the British side of me coming out. There are two things British related. So there's a mentioning of the Cleopatra's needle, which we are told is where. Ruby Kane, um, Carter and Sadie's mother, passed away. Um, though we don't learn anything further, like Julius was going to say something, and then these mystical people popped up. Um, <laughs> what I would like to say is, so Carter brings up a quite a hilarious point of the fact that Cleopatra's needle is neither a needle or anything related to Cleopatra, and he said, "But I guess the British just thought that was it was a good name when they when they brought it over." And all I can think is. I'm pretty sure, as with most things that we have here in Britain, we didn't bring it over, we stole it and brought it here. It would probably have been a good thing to mention. But admittedly, well, no, not even admittedly. <laughs> Back then, like, the discussions of stolen artefacts were still going on in Britain. But Rick is an American author, so it's possible that he doesn't know this information. But... I remember reading that and I was just like, no, 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 we, we, we stole it. We didn't bring it here. We stole it and then brought it here. Like it's a stolen artifact that Egypt, I'm pretty sure, are, are asking for it back and have been for a while. Same with a lot of artifacts here in the UK at the British Museum as well, which is ironic because we are going to the British History Museum in this, in this section. Um, the other additional English thing is... Uh, Sadie would not be calling Amos a bloke. Now, I 100% get why Rick did this, because 
he, he clearly needed something that sounded English. <laughs> um, like something an English person would say. But she's 12. She, people around, basically un, anyone under the age of 18, around this time when these books were being published as well, which is, I think, when I would have been like 16. 2000, no, hold on. What year, oh my god. What year did this one come out? <laughs> um, copyright year. Okay, published 2011. So I was 15 at the time. Um, and yeah, never said bloke in my life up until literally probably the last five years <laughs> in my 20s. Um, bloke is not a common thing for kids to say, like at all. They would call it, it was like, uh, who was that guy? Like we would say guy. Um, so that was just, it's just, that was a nitpicky dialogue situation. There are definitely more. Oh God. <laughs> but um, yeah, so just two nitpicky English situations here. But um, I'll move on from the feedback section to go into the overview for chapter two, An Explosion for Christmas. This is a pretty interesting chapter, I will say, so let's get into it. Greeted by the not-so-open-minded curator of the museum, the Canes head in to see the Rosetta Stone. Once there, Julius has it unlocked for undisturbed access and gets the kids to lock the curator away to delay him. Told to stay out of the room, they do what any child does and ignore him. Speaking and writing in Egyptian, Julius used what appeared to be magic on the Rosetta Stone until it blew up. Coming to, Carter and Sadie are met with the image of a fiery man standing over their glowing blue father. Naming him Osiris, the fiery man locks their father in a sarcophagus and Julius Kane disappears. The room gets hot once more and the fiery beast promises to meet Carter again. As the two lose consciousness again, the figures they saw at the needle appear over them, promising destruction once they're sure of something. But that's something we don't yet know. And that is the overview for chapter two and the last chapter of this section. And honestly, this was, I actually kind of really enjoyed this. It was, it was a really interesting, well, history of, of things to do with Egypt as well. Like we learn about the history of the Rosetta Stone. Um, I will admit I'm not the most knowledgeable on history, so it could possibly be wrong because I know there is a lot of whitewashing in relation to historical discoveries. Um, so it does mention who discovered the Rosetta Stone, um, but I can't remember who it says. Uh, Thomas Young is who it says. So let's double check. Let's do a quick little Google, little Google, and find out Thomas Young Rosetta Stone. Um. Okay, so it does look like, so he was a polymath, um, connected to Egyptology, um, his fields were physics, physiology and Egyptology. Um, let's just double check, Rosetta Stone Discovery. Um, we're just looking at the images. Oh my gosh, it is actually quite huge. <laughs> um, dun, 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 dun. Da, 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 da. 
Um, okay, no, this is a lot. This is not helpful. Um, agreed to examine, blah, blah, blah. Reading the Rosetta Stone, blah, blah, blah. Um, no, this is not helpful. <laughs> uh, hieroglyphic text. Yeah, no, okay, no, it doesn't offer any. Um, yeah, okay, no, it doesn't offer any information. So it, it looks like that may be correct. If it's wrong, someone please tell me, because I'd be intrigued to see if this was another bit of history that was whitewashed. Um, but anyway, let's move on. Um, so, <laughs> I've got to say, it's two chapters in and I'm already not a fan of Sadie Carter. No, Sadie Carter, oh my god, Sadie Kane, Jesus Christ. Um, she's kind of rude. And, like... So they have this moment with the curator um, where uh, they mention something about Imhotep and she asks Carter who Imhotep is and Carter kindly explains. Um, he does end it with a little bit of a know-it-all sort of you know at the end. Probably not in that tone but because Carter isn't really the sort of sarcastic type. But um, she then rudely states that she doesn't care. I'm like, dude, you asked the question. Like, you can't be annoyed that he answered your question and get sassy about it like you asked a question and he gave you an answer I wouldn't have given you an answer you're a little shit <laughs> um but um I yeah it happens like twice there is another moment where she kind of gets a little bit s snide she's had quite a few moments I think this is the thing this I'm, I'm a little frustrated with her because and, I, and as far as I'm aware, I don't think this is explored properly, but we'll probably get to that. I don't get why she takes out a lot on her, a lot of her anger on Carter and Julius, because like it is very much neither of their fault that they've been separated, or the fact that they only get to see her twice a year. I'm pretty sure Julius would have wanted to see his daughter more than that. Like she is rude to him in the first section, like. Um, where he refers to her as sweetheart and she gets like literally very angry and snaps at him and like, sweetheart, no you don't get to play and blah 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 blah. I'm like, Sadie, calm the hell down. Like, <laughs> I know you're 12, but grow up a little bit here. You have this one day with him and you're going to spend it being being a little shit. <laughs> um, to move on to something, oh, I, and this is going back to the, the race and the fact that Sadie is light-skinned in comparison to Carter and Julius um it feels kind of realistic that like the curator has this moment of being like when Julius says that Sadie is his daughter the curator has this moment and look on his face of like utter surprise that he tries to like hide afterwards but it feels like something that kind of would happen um like I can just I can think of a few tv shows like where there's like the white dad with their black daughter or black son and people just assume that they aren't related um it kind of you know obviously works in the same way in the opposite direction as well um but i thought it was an interesting thing to kind of show um i would also like to point out that this is the first book that we've read um where the plot has actually been provided to us of like what this book is going to be entailing, what's going to be happening in the book, in this chapter. So we're two chapters in and we already have an idea of what's going to be happening in this narrative. Like we've got this fiery figure um, who wants to be king and king of everything. 
um, and has trapped their father, who he's calling Osiris. Um, and there are supposedly five other beings in play that Julius has unintentionally set free, though we don't know who they are. Like, it's, it's a good section and a good introduction to these moments that, you know, gets us gripped into the story because we've got an understanding at this point of what we can kind of expect of, like, a big bad and other issues and, like, the saving of their father. Um, which goes into our main points, and I want to talk about this in regards to an introduction. Like, having the plot be brought up at the start so we get an idea of the concept for this story is a really really good way to go about it like getting an idea of how the narrative is going to be the different themes so after you've got the family theme situation as well with carter and sadie um in comparison to obviously like i've just been going through the lost hero we did not find out the plot for a good while we got an idea of like jason appearing and percy being missing but we don't actually get the plot and the narrative of what they need to do for like a until 100 pages in whereas here it's <laughs> we're what maybe 20 pages let me count oh no okay that's a little bit more um we are 28 pages in and we have an idea of how this narrative is going to go that's really good to keep your audience invested in the story um and going on to the family aspect i really like that already one of the cruxes of the story is family it's a great theme that is as as i know thread throughout the king chronicles in general and like i really like the idea of an exploration of family themes and stories in general and the connection of characters through either a found family or an actual family i just i just love that kind of vibe and we get we have that both in king chronicles and percy jackson um obviously the first book of percy jackson is very much about you know saving his mother um but also the found family aspect of like grover and annabeth as well and camp in general um but it's something that i definitely found was lacking in heroes of olympus and also much later down the line trials of apollo so i'm glad that we've got that in this series as well like family is oh god i sound like dom toretto <laughs> um family in the kane chronicles is like a central theme to this series which i think is probably why i really like kane chronicles um and why i really wish the series was more appreciated because it's just it's just a really great series and um another note uh follow i think it's king chronicles netflix on instagram <laughs> which is an update page for the king chronicles um because they're getting an adaption they're getting a netflix film series support them show your love and appreciation because the books deserve more appreciation and the films that will be coming do as well it's not just about the percy jackson tv show and the percy jackson books just saying for the final point about introductions it is also a really good dramatic introduction to get us invested in in this first book especially like the action is starting early we've got our villains there's a parent in peril and our two leads have no one to guide them at the moment through what is actually going on and like they're they're having to figure out what's going on as they go along and we're learning with them also a really interesting way of having this book being like a found footage situation like be open with this note from the author saying this is based on tapes that have been found um i've transcribed them as best as possible uh he makes no claims about its authenticity it seems impossible 
but uh, we the reader must decide for ourselves. Like that's a really interesting concept that I think was really, I think it's executed really well. Like even in the chapters themselves, we get the sense that it is being recorded. Like we're, we're finding this through a transcript that's just been laid out in written form. Which I think was just, it's just a really interesting story. I'm looking forward to, to going through the rest of the books for this. But to go into characters now, I want to start with Carter Kane because admittedly at this point we don't really have much of an image of Carter's sort of personality and who he is as as a character and as a person at the moment because well and this is because I guess it's kind of like a personality aspect but he's sort of like a quiet person he doesn't seem to be someone who takes risks he doesn't like kind of say any of his thoughts aloud like he thinks things of like insults towards like Sadie and stuff occasionally um or shows his frustration in his mind but like he really he doesn't he's not an active person he's not someone who will go out of his way to find information he's he cares more about being safe than taking risks unnecessarily um which is why they end up in this mess because Sadie isn't that kind of person and Carter is basically continuously peer pressured. Even though she's not a peer, she's a younger sibling. She's basically the one peer pressuring him to kind of take more risks. Um, but it is an interesting juxtaposition between the two siblings um, in this way. In the fact that Carter is so different. Like he's quiet, calm, controlled. And Sadie just needs to learn to shut up and stop being an idiot. <laughs> um, but the fact that they are sort of juxtapos juxtapositions to each other will hopefully help to show off more of his character later on but let's get into Sadie Kane um first thing I want to say uh for all the folks out there who decided that for their fan casts for Kane Chronicles that they would cast just white actresses for Sadie um she isn't white she is a mixed goddamn race like her mother is white, her father is black. She's mixed race, not white. And even in her description, and this is where the the art, like the official artwork by Varia kind of pisses me off because her artwork draws her as a blonde white girl. She is neither of those things. It literally says in the book, Sadie's skin is much lighter than mine. Carter is a dark-skinned boy. So much lighter that is a description but that doesn't mean pale she's much lighter and also even in one of the side books where Percy describes her as looking like a younger Annabeth Annabeth is described as very tanned like mm. also admittedly Rick confuses his description with Sadie so much she is described as so I'll say it again Sadie's skin is much lighter than mine she has caramel coloured hair not exactly blonde, but not brown. So it's like a mixture between the two. It's sort of like my colour hair, is what I would say. Because my hair is neither blonde nor brown. It's like a... <laughs> probably not the best description. It's like a dirty mixture between the two. But she is not white. And she is described as having, yes, much lighter skin than Carter. But again, he is dark skin. He is dark skinned, sorry. Which means much lighter still doesn't mean pale white which is how she is drawn so much in fan art and it annoys the heck out of me um there is one artist that i would like to recommend 
to people who I think draws Sadie in the way that I think she should be portrayed in the films and that is Karen Della oh Della Vega Vega oh yeah okay Karen Della Vega art but the A in Della Vega and A in art is just one A but I'll link her in the episode show notes because honestly her artwork I think shows Sadie in the right way of a tanned sort of dirty blondie brown girl not a pale ass girl that she's shown in the official art because that is not even accurate to the description provided to her in the books but again I'm gonna I'm gonna stop talking about it now because it just it angers me so much <laughs> because the book itself describes it as yes she's still white passing I will she is white passing but she's not my pale ass white where like I blend into a white wall if the sun is too bright like she's not that kind of white because <laughs> she's not white she's mixed race I'm gonna move on from this now but it's just something that just really annoys me that people just like to pretend her mixed heritage isn't there when they fan cast and even when they talk about her because she ain't white stop it but to go into her personality side of her character, honestly, to start with, we're only two chapters in, and I don't like Sadie. I know that I start to like her, like her later on, but at this point, I really don't. She has a really cold attitude to her dad and her brother, even though it's not their fault that she, they don't see her that often. It was literally decided by her grandparents, who are the ones who had the say on the custody battle and won it, for only one of the children. <laughs> But she bad mouths them so much that I'm just like, I don't understand, like, where is this dis- why, why are you being disrespectful? You get to see them twice a year and you're being a dick. So, I'm looking forward to when we get to our POV next week because, admittedly, it's been a while since I've read these, I've read these books, but I'm pretty sure she, she gets a little bit better. So, um, that's definitely something I'm looking forward to when we get to the next section. Um, but yeah, to start with, not really a fan. If this, like, this was her, our introduction to her, and it was her being rude, disrespectful, and unkind to her brother and her dad for things that are completely out of their control. Like, not on. Not on at all. But, um, yeah, my overall opinion on these first two chapters, I'm thrilled. <laughs> I'm glad to be getting into a story that kind of has a little bit more of like a direction of what they want to do with this narrative. Um, so I'm raring to go. Like we, we've got the story set up. Um, it's an interesting start and um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. So uh, for everyone who is listening in, of course, we're getting to your favourite part of the episodes, which is the question of the episode, which will be going up on our social media. So how did you feel about the introduction to the Kane Chronicles? Did it entice you to keep reading? I'll be going up tomorrow after this episode airs and I would love to hear your thoughts on that. Um, but yeah, this is the start of the Kane Chronicles, the next section in our timeline journey and I'm very, very excited to get going with it. So I want to thank you all for joining me for these chapters. Be sure to join me next Wednesday as we continue our Royal Universe journey. 
to plug where you can find our podcast we're available on spotify apple podcast audio boom stitcher and deezer in the meantime between episodes you can find the best damn camp on various social media at best damn camp pod on instagram and twitter if you want to email me with your thoughts you can email the best damn camp at hotmail.com and you can become a podcast patron over at patreon.com slash a healthy dose of fran which is linked in the episode show notes for things like early access and other exclusive perks to help me an unemployed struggling artist Want more Percy Jackson content? Check me out on YouTube at A Healthy Dose of Fran. And if you want to support my own writing career with my first book publishing next August and the short story prequel publishing in April of next year, drop me a follow at A Dose of Fran on Instagram, Twitter and TikTok. Again, thank you all for tuning in. As always, I've been Fran, your very own hunter. I'll see slash speak to you guys next time. Toodaloo.